0: God preparing Gideon uh, and also teaching us a lot about what it means to trust God and we've gotten to this point where Gideon's army has been reduced significantly from 32,000 down to 300 and um, you remember last week we saw that uh, God encouraged Gideon by bringing Gideon near and uh, allowing him to hear what was being said in the camp of the enemy and uh That really taught Gideon to fear God more than the enemy, who was also actually dealing with a lot of fear from the Lord. Uh, So we'll pick up the reading right after that at verse 15. This is the word of God. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise. For the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me... Then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands And the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia toward Zerorah as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabith, and the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, "Come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan." Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Barah and the Jordan. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. Amen. This is the word of God. May God bless his word to us as we think about it together this morning. One of the most famous books on war is Sun Tzu's The Art of War, uh, written about 2,500 years ago. Uh, It's a Chinese uh, manual on tactics and principles and logistics of how to fight warfare. And it was very popular in Eastern cultures for generations, and it wasn't until after the Vietnam War... Uh, when the Viet Cong were using principles from Sun Tzu's book, uh, that the, uh, the book came into the Western military tradition. But today, it's a part of the curriculum at West Point. All of American intelligence officers, as a part of their training, uh, have to learn uh, and, and study this book. And it, it was said that General MacArthur uh, kept a copy of the book on his desk uh, throughout his career. And uh, this is because uh, war is a discipline. Uh, It can be studied and it can be learned. Uh, We have uh, a US Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania uh, that does graduate level training in, uh, in the science of war. And it's a place where senior military officials go to learn about tactics and strategy for war. And uh, despite this fact, my guess is that uh, Gideon and his approach to battle is nowhere included in the curriculum as an example that we should follow when we're conducting war, that nowhere is it a good idea to take a force of 32,000, reduce it to 300, and then basically sneak up on people and try to scare them. Uh, in the middle of the night, when you're outnumbered significantly, and yet uh, the commentators want us to read Gideon this way, uh, and I think if we if we really understand what's going here, what's going on here, rather than seeing this as principles for how to overcome an enemy greater than we are, what we really see here is something about the victory of faith. It is it is all God's work. It is God's doing. But the real battle going on is is the faith and whether God's people will trust him and him alone. And of course, this is the battle that you're in every single day of your life. Are you going to live a life of fear and worry and anxiety or are you going to live trusting in the Lord? A life of faith, a life of confidence in him And so as we look at the passage, I hope what we'll see is God's great victory, and this is a great victory we're reading about, is seen in the faith that he gives to his people and the faith that he gives you. And you and I can celebrate God's great work by pursuing his purposes as we see him at work. And as we look at the passage, Lord willing, we'll see how this comes out of the text. Now, you children, if you're going to draw me a picture today... Uh, draw me maybe draw me a picture of the weapons that Gideon's soldiers use in this battle okay and listen as we talk about why those weapons are so unusual and what they teach us Uh, there is an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along I've also put a little map in there and we'll talk about that later uh, just to talk about what happens here uh, in this battle Well, the first thing I want you to notice is that the battle you face, the greatest battle you face, is the one that's occurring in your own heart. Uh, We see this in verse 15. As we finally made it uh, to the battle after uh, weeks that we've been working through the book of preparation. And you remember the person that Gideon was when God first came to him. Uh, God said, you are a mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And his response was, Who me? Uh, No way, right? I'm from the the small tribe. I'm a nobody. I can't do this. Uh, God appeared to him to strengthen his faith, but Gideon still doubted. And so he asked for these signs, these miraculous signs. And God gave the miraculous signs to try to, again, encourage him and strengthen him. And then as God is sort of purifying his army for him, uh, Gideon again is struggling with fear. And God then takes him down to hear what he's doing in the minds of the enemy. And, uh, and, and so it's been a long process. And all of this process, we're sort of thinking, well, the main problem is this force of over 100,000 Midianites. That's still the main problem that's out there that he's got to face at some time. But actually what this long period of preparation is meant to show you is that the real problem isn't the Midianites. The real problem is the battle for faith in the hearts of the people. The real problem is the people don't love and trust God. Uh, They're worshiping Baal along with God. And that Gideon himself doesn't love and trust God as he should. And so, this is why this process has taken a long time. And we've actually finally reached the turning point. We, we talked about this last week in verse 15. Because from this point on, we don't see Gideon as the fearful, hesitant, uh, un- undecisive person that he's been up until this point. We see him as a bold, decisive leader in every way. And so, he's, he's changed. And and as we said last week, it was seeing uh, God and God's power and glory and the fact that uh, even the enemy was afraid of Yahweh God. And so he recognized the awesome power of God. And in verse 15, this is summarized by saying, uh, when Gideon heard this dream, he heard the the enemy soldiers who were uh, terrified of this dream, and he worshiped. He bowed down and he worshiped the living God and this is a change for him and then flowing out of that worship in the second half of verse 15 he goes back to the camp and now he's repeating what God has said to him arise for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand it's time to go to war and he's not taking credit to himself he's reflecting the credit to God he's giving glory to God and he's committed to doing God's work Commentator Barry Webb, and this quotation is in the bulletin, uh, speaking about this, says, When Gideon rises from his knees after hearing the dream down in the enemy camp, he hasn't yet seen Midian defeated, but he's seen the awesome power of God, and he's not afraid anymore. And that's where the real battle has been all along. Uh, I really appreciate Philip and the rest of you praying for my uh, doctor's appointment this last week. Um, I've been five years without uh, any treatment and remission uh, for leukemia. And in October when I had my six month appointment, um, they detected cancer cells, a really sensitive test in my blood. And so this last six months, they pretty much said, well, you just have to wait. And when you come back in six months, either we're gonna see that this was just a blip or it's it's going to be coming back. And then we have to figure out uh, what to do about that. Now, I wish I could say, you know, that I just calmly took all that in stride for the last six months. And, and uh, that, you know, I was perfectly trusting in the Lord and there wasn't any bit of worry. And um, I think really based on kind of what happened this last week, that I was under a lot of a burden Uh, that maybe I I didn't even realize it, but it it manifested itself in various ways um, in the way I treated other family members and and things like that. Um, But it was a great relief uh, for the test to come back negative, and so it appears it was just a a little blip, and so I'm very thankful for that. Um, But I have to go back in six months and, and do it all over again. And, and so you, you realize, you know, it's easy to think that the thing I, I really need to be concerned about, the thing I'm battling, is this cancer, this leukemia in, in this case. But it's not. It, it's, it's my lack of faith. That's the real battle, is, is whether I'm going to trust the Lord and experience the peace that he wants me to have, or if I'm going to live in fear, because... Let's be honest, if this leukemia doesn't get me, something's going to get me, uh, you know. And and the same is true for you. And uh, it's easy for you to look around and say, this thing that I can see out there is the real problem. And it's never the real problem. The real problem is what's going on in your heart. And if you're going to live a life of faith or a life of fear. And this is what was going on in Gideon's situation. Well, secondly, we see here God's great victory is seen in the faith that he gives to his people. So in verses 16 to 18, we have the battle plan for Gideon and his 300 men. And we do see evidence right away that Gideon is a transformed man. Uh, Verse 17, he says to them, look at me and do likewise. So as he's telling them what to do, the plan hinges on follow my example. He's not sending them off on this crazy mission. He's leading from in front. And he's going to be the one demonstrating to them how to do it. Verse 16 tells us he divides his 300 men into three companies. And he puts a trumpet in every man's hand and empty pitchers and torches. So he's handing out the equipment for the battle. And children, what is missing from this list of equipment? And you think of something that you might want to take into a battle that he is not giving to his soldiers at this point. Anyone have any ideas? Yes, Reuben. Okay, sword. Good one. Yes, anybody else? Yes, go ahead. Lewis. Bows and arrows. Good. Another one. Yeah. Shield. Good. Yeah. Armor. Good. Yes, go ahead. What's that? Spear. Okay, I think we, we've got the idea, right? You, we could go on and on, right? There, there, I mean, there's not even a rock or a stick. There's literally nothing that can be used as a weapon. Uh, they've got ram's horns. They've got a torch. They've got like a, uh, some kind of a jar that they're using to cover the light. Or they're going to surprise. They're going to sneak up and surprise the enemy so they don't want the light to be visible to it the last second. So you, you explain to me how you're carrying a horn and a, and a torch, and then a covering over the torch, and you're going to be prepared to fight. It, it doesn't look great. Uh, commentator Arthur Kundel said, never did an army advance with such a motley assortment of equipment, and that's probably an understatement. Well, verse 18 tells us the plan, uh, that uh, they're going to sneak down to the outskirts of this camp, and um, they're going to follow... Gideon's lead and Gideon says when I blow the trumpet I who are, and all who are with me so the hundred men that he's got with him they're going to blow their trumpets and then when the others hear the trumpets they're going to blow them and uh, then they're all going to yell the sword of the Lord and of Gideon again what's the irony here we're all yelling about Gideon's sword and there's no sword anywhere to be found in this whole picture uh, so it's a uh, it's an ironic way to go and to do battle. Uh, Last Monday, uh, Eric reminded me of this, last Monday is Patriots Day in Massachusetts, uh, which is uh, on the Monday closest to, is it the 19th, I think, of of April, uh, which historically was the day on which the shot heard round the world was fired, uh, the Battle of Lexington, when 77, Uh, Massachusetts militiamen opposed a force of 700 British regulars who were coming in to uh, take some weapons and things like that away. And these uh, 77 were outnumbered 10 to 1, but they stood their ground, Uh, they took heavy casualties, but they delayed the British enough for many other colonists to be called to the battle. And that ended up, that, that, that battle ended up being a rout And the colonists chased, thousands actually came out and chased the British all the way back into Boston, and then put Boston under siege, and that was really the start of the Revolutionary War. And uh, it's inspiring, and it ended in an incredible victory. And recognize, they were outnumbered 1 to 10. Gideon is outnumbered uh, something like 450 to 1, Um, and His army had no weapons. It's it's kind of surprising. Even good commentators get drawn into the excitement. Uh, One of them saying, Gideon's plan is a brilliant plan. Another saying, Gideon's previously unseen military genius comes out. It's it's not what this this is. This plan is insane. From a human perspective, it, it's basically like a, a bunch of guys pulling a prank. You know, we're going we're gonna to blow our horn and make a loud noise and wake you up in the middle of the night. Uh, that's sort of what's going on. And yet, here they are, 100% committed to this approach. And so what we're seeing is this profound faith in God. It's not faith in Gideon, it's not faith in this great plan that we put together, it's faith in God and God alone. Barry Webb speaking about this says, jars and torches are strange pieces of equipment to take into the battle, but the willingness of Gideon's men to do so shows they share their leader's radical trust in God, and that 's really what 's on display here. The real battle is the internal one, and here we see God imparting faith to his people and and we remind ourselves, faith is never something that we gin up on our own it 's never something that we bring to the table. God is the one who, by His spirit, gives faith to his people. I put in your outline familiar verses to us of Ephesians two. 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So our faith even is a gift of God, but then see how that goes on in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That, that, that part of this faith is flowing out into our doing the things that God wants us to do. And and this is the great victory of God, that he conquers people and he gives them faith. And what an encouragement. We can look around the room and see genuine faith in Christ being manifested in all kinds of amazing ways. You know, sometimes it's just... Dealing with the challenges of getting older. Uh, We have people dealing with chronic pain. Uh, We have uh, people dealing with raising young children. (laughs) Uh, These things are all challenging. But when it's done in faith, see, this this is showing us something about our God. Our God who imparts faith into our lives to enable us to, to serve him. Whether it's at work or in the home, are in the church. This is God's great victory, our faith. Thirdly, then, since this is the case, we ought to commit ourselves to proclaiming this faith clearly. So we see this in verses 19 and 20, where we have the implementation of this battle plan. Uh, Gideon and his men uh, divide. They're going to come at the big Midianite camp from separate sides, And they go down, it tells us, in the middle, at the beginning of the middle watch. So this would be about 10 in the evening. And so you've got three watches that go throughout the night. Uh, So the first watch is ended, and so those people are walking back to the camp. Uh, The second watch has just begun, and presumably everyone on the third watch is sleeping. So it's dark, you have some people asleep, you have people moving around, and Gideon's Uh, 100 men lead the way Uh, it says in verse 19 that they blew their trumpets all of a sudden they broke their pitchers so the idea is the light all comes on at once Uh, the light of their torches is revealed and they blow their trumpets and they yell as verse 20 says uh, as the other companies join in with the noise and the torches and they cry out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon Again, without any sword in hand. In fact, verse twenty tells us they have the torch in one hand and the horn in the other hand. There's no sword in anybody's hand, and they yell out, "The sword of the Lord and of Gideon." And some commentators have noticed, yeah, yes, uh, horns and this kind of thing, torches could be used as as signaling equipment in war. But this combat, this this connection between a trumpet sounding and the shout of praise. We, we actually sang it before in Psalm 47. Uh, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. And we're gonna sing, Lord willing, after the sermon from Psalm 98. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with harp, with the harp, and the sound of a psalm with trumpets and the sound of a horn shout joyfully before the Lord. And so, the, so many commentators notice like this actually is the behavior that's more often associated with worship, with a liturgical setting. Uh, it, it's sort of similar to the story in Second Chronicles where they send the choir uh, ahead of the army out to, uh, to face the enemy. Uh, that, that it very much calls up The idea of worship. And one of the the guys I think has been the most helpful commentators on this book, uh, Michael Lefebvre, who sadly has not written a commentary but has just preached on the book, calls this warfare by creed. That that really is the plan. We're going to fight by professing our faith. Warfare by creed. And two times in this passage, that creed for Yahweh and for Yahweh's servant, is announced. So rather than being a brilliant brilliant military strategist, Gideon is leading his men to worship God and to profess their faith in him. This might have been a brilliant military strategy if he had kept his 32,000 soldiers and if after the shout there really was an army there to attack, but there wasn't. They came to profess their faith in God. And I think this suggests something profound to us, and that is that the best way for us to oppose a culture that hates us, that wants to see us silenced, that mocks us relentlessly, is not to be running around trying to do things all the time, but for us to continue to profess our faith in Christ, publicly, clearly, faithfully. The main thing the world wants you to do is shut up. Shut up, keep your faith to yourself, and just go hide somewhere. And against that, Gideon is telling you, profess your faith Clearly, you and I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should never be afraid to proclaim that reality. And it's one of the things we're doing every week when we come to worship God. We are here to proclaim for Yahweh and for Yahweh's servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith and our hope is in him. And we should, I think, Uh, celebrate and pray for any other church in our community who likewise is willing to say for Yahweh and for Yahweh's servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we serve the same God together. So commit yourself to proclaiming your faith clearly. Fourthly, then we see this challenge that we ought to profess our faith and then wait upon God to work so in verses 21 to 22, we see the effect of the sudden appearance of Gideon's men blowing their trumpets and proclaiming their faith. And that is this pandemonium breaks out in the camp. And in the confusion of the dark, there's people walking around. Uh, there's people who are asleep. Uh, they're jumping up and grabbing their swords and they're starting to attack uh, each other uh, as it says um, The whole army ran and cried and fled. And uh, when the 300 men blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And then the army fled. And if you have the map that I put in the bulletin, you can kind of see what's going on here. So the Midianites, we said, would come from the east and plant themselves in the Jezreel Valley. So coming from the Mediterranean Sea, Right along this mountain ridge all the way down here south of the Sea of Galilee is the Jezreel Valley. Is the great uh, uh, breadbasket of Israel. And so you see these green lines are the men who had come out of the northern tribes to help Gideon. uh, But then they had not stayed. And so then in yellow right there this little group of 300 comes and surrounds the Midianites who are camped uh, in this valley. Or at least gets on one corner of them maybe. And then, in their terror, the red line shows you they start to flee uh, down to the south, uh, to the to the fords across the Jordan River in an effort to get back uh, and to get away. Uh, and we'll talk in a minute about how the uh, the Israelites pursue them. Uh, but this is a this is a supernatural terror uh, that God has sent down upon them it's very interesting when they blow the trumpet in a military setting you blow the trumpet you're expecting one of your units to move forward this is the call like let's move into battle Uh, but verse 21 is really the key in understanding what's going on here because it said after they call out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon every man stood in his place they did nothing they just blew the trumpet and yelled and then they stood there and waited to see what would happen? And who was it that moved forward uh, to fight? It was God. And what's really interesting is what, what sword did God use? He used the Midianite sword. And so adding to their defeat is the humiliation that God walks into their camp and takes their own swords and uses it against them. And completely routs them. He sent this supernatural terror upon them. And so then this frenzy of being awakened in the night, uh, they're, they're all attacking each other, killing each other. And this is God doing this. As Lawson Younger says, Gideon and his puny 300 were not the reason for the victory in this battle. Rather, they were simply used by God. It was his victory through and through. And there's a powerful lesson here for us. Because faith means that sometimes you simply worship God and you proclaim and you profess your faith in God and then you have to wait for him to work when and where and how he chooses to work. This situation we're reading about here has been going on for seven years. The Midianites have been coming up every year during harvest time and taking all of their food and, and they had to wait for God to act on his terms. And when God was ready to act, he acted in a powerful way. Uh, Christians today are facing a lot of challenges. I was reading uh, the last week about a lot of different changes that are being put in place by the current administration quietly uh, to take away uh, religious conscious, conscience protections that have been put in place by the previous administration. And this, this, these are wide ranging things. So, uh, a, a Christian based hospital uh, being able to uh, operate as a Christian based hospital, Christian doctors being able to uh, be exempted for certain, from certain ty- types of procedures uh, that are problematic, uh, Christian institutions being able to benefit from public uh, funds. Uh, if they act like Christian institutions, and this even affects through the education department, uh, groups on campuses, all right? If you want to have a campus group that's explicitly Christian, uh, then you're you're going to be uh, you're going to be in trouble. Like you can't ha- you can't have a religious test for the leadership of your own Christian group, and so at, in all kinds of different ways, trying to make it very difficult for somebody to live as a Christian and be involved. In public life. And, and as you read these articles, I mean, you're stirred up. You're thinking, this is terrible. We have to do something. Somebody needs to do something. We have to stop this. And of course, we, we should take whatever measures we can to oppose these things. But we also need to remind ourselves that God will work when and where and how he pleases and his ways are perfect. And, and we need to be faithful to live by faith, to profess our faith in him, and to refuse to compromise even as we wait on him. Sometimes we have to wait for him to act. And this is exactly what Gideon was doing. They just professed their faith and they stood there and watched what happened. And God came in a powerful way. Well, finally, we look at this. We're reminded that when you see God working, you can celebrate his work by pursuing his purposes. And we see this in verses 23 to 25. So as this, uh, this army is routed, as they're attacking and killing each other and they flee, it says the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and they pursued The Midianites. So now these 32,000 that had recently been with them, they're all called back. And and those are the ones from the northern tribes who were most affected by this invasion. And so they're quickly rejoining the pursuit. And the idea is to cut them off and to capture them before they can cross the Jordan River. And they're able to inflict tremendous damage. Um, And then it says, Gideon uh, furthermore sends messengers out throughout the mountains of Ephraim saying, come down and seize from them the watering places at Beth Bara and at the Jordan. So he's trying to cut off their retreat uh, through calling the Ephraimites. And if you look down again at the map, you see that's what's in blue down here. So Ephraim is farther to the south. And so these men are, calling, uh, are coming up from the south to try to intercept the retreating, fleeing Midianites and it says they answer the call also and uh, they come up and verse 25 tells us they capture uh, two princes of the Midianites Oreb that means raven and Zeb which means wolf and they kill these two men Oreb at the rock what became then known as the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb and they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side So they kill these two military leaders of the army, and what I want you to see here—we'll actually talk more about this next time—but what I want you to see here is you see how God has brought this story of Gideon full circle. Because when God first came to him, Gideon was hiding, trying not to be noticed, in threshing his grain uh, in a wine press, and then uh, and then when God appeared to him, Gideon made an offering uh, to God on a rock and, uh, and worshipped God on a rock. And so he's gone from this terrified guy who's trying to hide from any responsibility and, and, and arguing with God about whether he'll do anything, and now he has defeated the two Midianite generals, and uh, it mentions uh, the, um, the two places where this happened, at the winepress of Zeb and at the rock um, of, uh, of Oreb. And this is the author bringing this around for us, that God has fulfilled his purpose. And so how do they celebrate this great victory? God, God does something absolutely incredible to win this victory. Well, the way they celebrate is they pursue. They, they, they see what God's doing and they get on board with it and they follow up. And, and so, yes, the first part of this battle is completely supernatural, uh, when God defeats with the 300 this massive group. But then when they follow them up and they're inflicting damages on them as they run in, in terror retreating, there's nothing necessarily supernatural about that, but, but it's all important. Uh, they follow what God's doing. They see the direction things are going and they pursue. And that is a very helpful thing for us to think about. As as we look at our lives, as we look at ministry opportunities there are always more things that you could do as a family or an individual or we could do as a church than we have time or resources for. But one of the keys is seeing, again by faith, what God is doing and then putting our energies into where we see God directing us. Uh, we, we, have, we will have some very uh, big decisions to be making in, in the coming months. Um, Philip Hattis was praying about the architects who were working on uh, a plan for us to expand our facility on this location. Um, that would be a decision that would have many implications about the future and, uh, and where we're investing and, and where we think the ministry is going. Uh, we recently became aware of another, uh, a larger church than ours that's get, that looks like it's getting ready to close and, uh, and, and, we, and we've talked to them about the possibility of whether uh, we could move into their building. Again, I mean, that would be a very big decision with a lot of implications that would put us in a different part of town. And, and so part of this is for us to figure out what's God doing and, and try to get behind what God's doing. Uh, it's, it's tempting. I mean, I can tell you, I have opinions about all this stuff. It's tempting for us all to think about what I want, Uh, where I want to drive and where I want to sit and all that Uh, but uh, we need to be focusing on where where does God seem to be leading us and how can we pursue his purposes as we serve him by faith and of course this is something we just we just cannot do on our own. On our own we're exactly like Gideon we, we are afraid. We are hiding. We just don't want anyone to notice us. We want to keep our head down and, and just fly completely under the radar. And God says the real battle is in your heart. In your heart. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to profess your faith in me? Are you going to wait upon me? Are you going to pursue when you see what I'm doing You cannot give yourself faith, but what you can do is entrust yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has perfect faith, the one who walked uh, with his God faithfully all the way to the cross, never doubting the Lord's good purposes for him, never acting out of fear, but always out of conviction and faith humbly submitting himself to the father's will for him and because the lord jesus did that in your place and because he rose from the dead victorious in your place people like you and me whose faith is often weak is often up and down hot and cold can be forgiven and can be given the grace that we need to trust the lord no matter what it is we are facing at some level, we're all guilty of hiding our light under a bushel. We, we haven't professed our faith as clearly as we could have in the different circumstances of life. And that the Lord says, by the, by the grace of Jesus Christ, he can work with you. He can work with us as faulty as we are, forgiving us and using us as his servants John writes in 1 John 5 4 and 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He uh, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't that fascinating? This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. It's not a faith we've produced. It's a faith that God has given us, but through his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, that faith, that transformation in the hearts of his people is the greatest victory, uh, the evidence of God's power over all things. And so you and I need to celebrate the work of God by pursuing, pursuing uh, his purposes as we understand them. Let's pray and we will ask the Lord to help us do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing account of um, a victory that uh, certainly never would have happened, could have happened, apart from your intervention. And how we thank you for this example of faith, uh, that these men simply trusted you. Um, They put themselves in position, and they declared that they trusted in Yahweh, and they trusted in Yahweh's appointed servant and then they waited for you to work. Lord, help us to learn from this. Uh, we're certainly not advocating passivity. We're not advocating uh, let go and let God, and that we just sit back and, and do nothing. But Lord, we, we understand that there are many things we cannot control. What we can do is to profess our faith in you and to worship you uh, faithfully, and to trust you and to wait for you to work when that's needed. Lord, we pray for our people right now, for the people who are sitting here thinking about, uh, they need help. Uh, Lord, we don't know why you've delayed working, but we pray that you would work in your good time and in your good way. And that uh, we would have the patience we need to trust you and to wait upon you. And then Lord, as we see what you are doing, to the best of our ability, help us, we pray, by your grace, to pursue your purposes, uh, to, get, to get in line behind you, and to uh, use our gifts in uh, the ways that you seem to be working. Help us, even this week, as we seek to apply these truths, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And let's uh, sing our praise back to the Lord now, from Psalm 98, Selection A. Again, uh, these words we read earlier uh, in the sermon, uh, we praise the Lord because he's won the victory. Uh, but we shout, uh, we join our voices to, to the trumpet blast, and we praise our victorious God. So we'll sing uh, Psalm 98, Selection A, and we'll sing stanzas 1 to 4, and then stanza 7. Let's stand to sing our praise.